A few months ago, my wife Haley and I began a journey with our oldest daughter, with Ella, that we had been looking forward to since the moment we became parents. And it's it's a journey that involves a, a certain royal family, the story of a certain royal family, the Chronicles of Narnia. And before we opened the first book, I had an internal struggle. And and I'm assuming it's a struggle that any parent who's a bit of a nerd has had any time they start the Chronicles of Narnia with their their child. Do we read them in chronological order, starting with the magician's nephew? Or do we read them in publication order, starting with the lion and the witch and the wardrobe? Anybody else want to admit to having that internal debate? It's just me. You, you had that debate too. Good. Good. So, so we had the debate and my wife Haley looked at me like I was crazy. Of course we are starting with the lion, the witch, and, and, and the wardrobe. The, the debate is, is similar to one biblical scholars and pastors have had for a long time. If you're introducing someone to the Bible, where do you start? Where do you begin? If they're picking up the Bible for the first time, where do you begin? And uh, I, I typically recommend the Gospel of John, but, but others would recommend Mark. Some would say, hey, just pick up and start with Genesis, although I think that's a little crazy if you're going to do that. Um, but one of the reasons we began this journey through the story last September, I know we took a break during Advent, is, is to kind of journey through the chronological narrative of Scripture, because more often than not, many of us who sit in pews on Sundays, we never do it. We never say, okay, we're going to read through the whole journey of scripture together. And so that's why we've been doing this is to say, okay, let's, let's look at the story and let's find the places where, where, where God has been working through God's people and how that relates to how we live today. Let's journey through the narrative of scripture together. So we're picking back up with that journey this morning and um, we're, we're starting something new uh, on next Sunday, on, on January 13th, where we're going to have a, a lecture series to kind of follow along. If, if you say, hey, I, I know Dave's preaching through it on Sunday, but I want to dig deeper. Um, we're going to have a lecture series where we kind of dive into the, the history of what was going on during that time. And so next Sunday night, you can sign up for that on the patio today. Um, we're also starting back up with our story small groups. If you were in a story small group before and you want to jump back in, we're beginning those in the... Um, in the next couple of weeks, and if you weren't in a story small group, but you want to be, you can sign up for those on the patio as well. So as we began this, this story last, last September, we started with a grand introduction, with the creation story. And then we, we worked through the forming of God's people. And we saw God lead men and women to shape God's people as they went through a cycle, and that cycle being where they walked with God, and then they wandered away from God, and then were were called back to God. As we continue this journey this morning, we'll be picking back up in in 1 Samuel. And if you're following along in the story, we're in in chapter 10 of the story, and if not, we're at the first part of of 1 Samuel. I always invite you to bring your storybooks with you or bring your Bibles. Um, The words will also be up on the screen. As we open God's word, will you please join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much for the story, for the gift of your scriptures, and for the opportunity you give us to explore them in community together. God, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning, and Lord, I ask that you would take my words and that you would use them for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
So earlier, Pastor John read from, from 1 Samuel chapter 2, a passage that we often refer to as, as Hannah's prayer or Hannah's song. If you're still clinging on to Christmas on this last day of the, of the season of Epiphany Sunday, when you get home, I invite you to, to go and look at what John read from 1 Samuel 2 and, and set it next to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, which is the Magnificat, which is Mary's song. They sound very, very similar. A lot happens in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. Hannah is one of Elkanah's wives, and she's frustrated she can't have children. She prays at the temple often, and a a priest named Eli notices her. He can tell that she's deeply troubled. And when when he asks why, she explains what's been causing her so much pain and so much angst. And as she leaves the temple, Eli says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you all that you have asked. Hannah has a baby boy, names that baby boy Samuel, which means God listens or God hears. And, and, and she brings him to the temple to serve God. She brings him to dedicate him to the, to the service of God. And while this is all going on with Hannah's family, Eli's family, the, the priest at the temple is kind of falling apart. Scripture tells us that his sons were scoundrels and, and that they, they really have no regard for what's happening in the temple. They'd steal from the temple offerings and would take advantage of the women who came to worship there. Eli tried to rein them in, but it was kind of a a, a fruitless effort. They wouldn't listen. And then what we're about to read happens in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and laid down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived what the Lord was, that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Now Samuel's story kind of serves as a a pivot point of sorts for God's people, for the history of God's people. It's the bridge that, that moves that moves God's people from the time of the judges where God is constantly raising up leaders to remind God's people of who he was and, and what God wanted for them into the time of Israel's kings. So it's kind of the bridge between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. We start to cross over the bridge when the story of Samuel's birth and, and with the story of Samuel's call to ministry And we learn something about listening to God from each of the people in in this story. Samuel's call gives us an example of what it looks like to to approach God honestly 
It gives us a lesson in, in learning to listen intently and a reminder to find help when it comes to discerning what God has for us. Samuel's call really starts with his mom's story. It starts with the story of, of Hannah. Now, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, when I picture Samuel at a young age, I picture a bit of a mama's boy. And, and it might be because I'm a mama's boy and it takes one to know one, but, but I can't read the first few chapters of 1 Samuel and not think that, that Samuel and Hannah had a special type of relationship. She agonized over not being able to have a child. And while she's, she's praying, she makes a vow to dedicate her son to the Lord if God would grant her her request for a son. Now it's almost as if she approaches prayer as a, as a negotiation time with God. But before we bash her for doing something so, so juvenile, let's, let's think about how often we do the same sort of thing with, with requests that are, are much, much more trivial. God, I'm running late. If you just give me a parking spot, I'll plan better next time. God, if you just help my team win today, I promise I'll go to church next week. God, if you could just help my kids sleep. Oh, I pray that every night. If you would just help my kids sleep, I promise I'll be more patient with them tomorrow. She's just being honest. This is the deepest desire of her heart. God, if you would just give me a son, I'll dedicate him to the temple. I'll dedicate him to your work. And her desire for a son, for a male child, matched the longing of of every woman her age during this time in, in history. But her willingness to give up the joy of raising a child and watching her son grow up was was unique. It's an incredible sacrifice. And so when Eli sees her her praying in the temple, he, he sees a woman who's so hysterical that she he thinks that she is drunk. And he says, why, why are you making such a scene? Why are you making such a scene? And she responds, I'm a troubled woman, so I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. I'm being honest with my anxiety. I'm being honest with my pain. Samuel's story starts before he is even born. With a woman who's willing to be honest with her struggles, who's willing to be honest with her pain. She's honest with herself. She's honest with her husband, and she's honest with God. Now sometimes, when it comes to approaching God, I think we either try to convince ourselves that that we can get through whatever it is we're going through on our own, or we don't think that whatever it is we're going through is big enough to have to actually reach out to God and to ask for help in prayer. Hannah's story shows us that we can and should approach God honestly, with, with whatever it is. And Eli teaches us to, to tune out the noise, or, or to put it another way, to learn to listen to God no matter what our circumstances might be. Eli is a, a priest who's getting older. He's serving in a, a, a temple during a, a difficult time in Israel's history where, where the light of the Lord, as we just read, was, was burning out as people weren't listening to what, what the temple had to offer. The, the people that he's called to lead had grown mostly ambivalent and, and they weren't following Hebrew law. It would have been a difficult time to be a priest. 
And to add insult to injury, he's living out the nightmare of every pastor who's also a parent. It's the nightmare that every pastor who's also a parent has had at least a few times. His two sons haven't really fallen away from their faith completely, but they're making a mockery of what's going on in the temple, of what Eli claimed to believe. They had no regard for the temple traditions, and they spend their time terrorizing the few people who actually show up to worship, taking advantage of them in every way imaginable. I'm sure that he was worried about the the state of his country, about the state of his congregation, about his own family, and yet, through it all, he sees a, a woman in need who's praying in the temple, and he pays attention to her. He pays attention to his calling as a priest, and he meets her where she sits. Then years later, as his sons continue to cause problems, he welcomes Samuel into the temple and mentors him. Now Eli had had all kinds of distractions going on in his life, all kinds of of, of things making him crazy that would make him crazy. He he could have ignored Hannah or, or turned to Samuel and just said, you know what, I don't have time for it. I don't, I don't, I've got enough going on. I don't have time for this. But he didn't. He's attentive to God's call, even when he's surrounded by everything that he's surrounded by. Now, many of us have started the new year and we're already exhausted. We're already exhausted with, with the craziness that is around us, with the craziness of the world. We go from one thing to the next, and then when we finally do get a moment, we, we turn on the news or we, we turn on our phone, and, and we look at whatever we see and we get depressed. Instead of listening through the noise, we're consumed by the noise. I'd love to challenge us all to be intentional with not allowing today's craziness to dominate every minute of our lives. For some of us, I imagine that that's just as simple as setting some time aside to be still. For others, it might be starting some sort of of new spiritual discipline. Or, Or maybe it's as simple as just choosing some time to set aside your phone or turn your phone off. We really don't have to answer every text or email the minute that it's sent to us. And we certainly don't need to engage in every argument we see on social media or post a picture of every significant moment of our day. We don't need to be consumed by the craziness that's around us. Uh, the iPhone update, it, it's kind of eating at me. There's a new iPhone update, and, and every week it gives, sends you a report. You've spent this much time on your, on your screen. And I said, oh, that's depressing. It's depressing. My wife tells me all the time, put your phone down. Let's not be consumed by the craziness of the world around us. The third lesson that we see in Samuel's call comes from Samuel himself. In the passage that that we just read from 1 Samuel 3, we see that God's call to Samuel comes three different times. And each time Samuel thinks it's Eli who's who's talking. Eventually, Eli catches on to what's happening and, and, and tells Samuel, hey, next time you hear that call, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel couldn't discern God's voice on his own. Samuel could not discern God's voice on his own. He needed help. It would have been so much easier if each time that God called out to Samuel, God would have said, Samuel, this is God, pay attention. 
It would have been so much easier if that was the case, but it wasn't. That's not how it works for Samuel. And, and to be honest, that's not how it usually works for us either. We tend to, to paint this dramatic picture when we dream of the ways God's voice is heard. But the reality is, more often than not, God doesn't speak through the, the big, booming voice. Most of the time, God speaks through familiar voices. People we know, mentors, neighbors, friends, sometimes even your pastor. Someone in a Bible study who points something out to you in the Bible that you've never seen before. Now, one of my hopes for us as we we move into the new year as, as a church is that every person in our community would have three people in our lives. At least, at least these three people in our lives. Someone who we ourselves are mentoring. At least one person that we are all investing in. So if, in your, if you're in a leadership position at, a, at the church, say you're a, a staff member, an elder, or a deacon, one person that you are mentoring, that you are walking with and saying, hey, here's what I do for the church, that you, that you are, are kind of coaching, that you are, are walking with. Or, or maybe it's volunteering with our, our children's or, or students' ministry. But it also doesn't have to be here at church either. It could be somebody at work that you're mentoring, somebody in your neighborhood that you're mentoring. Who are you mentoring? Who, who are you walking with? So that's the, the first person is, who are you mentoring? The second person, someone we're walking with. At least one friend to walk beside. This is the person that you know you can call at any time of the day, knowing that you won't be judged, that they won't give you advice, that they will just listen. Who's the one person that you are, are walking with? So one person you are mentoring, one person you are walking with, and then the third person, someone who is mentoring you. Who is mentoring you? Who's investing in you? who's pushing you, who's challenging you to grow in your faith or, or to grow professionally, who's mentoring you? So, so three, three people, and you're going to hear me say this more than once this year, someone you're mentoring, somebody that you are walking with, and somebody who's mentoring you. Who are those three people for you? Samuel's call reminds us that, that we all need help when it comes to hearing what God has for us. That's true for us as individuals, and that's true for us as a church community as well. Now, throughout Scripture, we read stories about individuals and communities who who learn to listen to God through, through different means, through different ways. And then they figure out how they should respond to what they hear. Now, earlier, during our children's message, I love that some of you still have your crowns on. Julie reminded us of one of those stories. In Epiphany, and today we, we remember the Magi, we remember the, the wise men who, who, who come, who discern God's call, and they respond to God's call. They respond to what they hear. My hope for us as a church is that we would follow their example. That we would be a people who, who approach God honestly like Hannah, who listen through the noise like Eli, and who seek and accept help like Samuel. Let's pray. Holy God, we we thank you for the examples you give us in your word. Guide us as we listen for your voice and direction this year. We pray these things in your name. Amen.